Well, good evening, everyone, parents and guests, huh? Hello? <laughs> you are awake, huh? Like some of you, who had nachos tonight, huh? Okay, a few of them. Tell your kids and people we're having Chick-fil-A next week. I think that'll even increase the attendance there. So, so thanks for being here tonight on this big Monday. Um, March 2020, of course, we know it was a difficult time. Some of us kind of want to move on from that, and, and yet we have to learn something from that. And that was when I gave my first video to the parish during that whole time that, that, that began the whole COVID situation. And one of the things I said in my first video was I was already grieving because I knew that the community that gathered together and all the people that were part of the community were all not going to be there. Some would kind of drift away. Others would move away because that was that thing to do in life. For others, they might just kind of drift away from their faith. Others might disagree with the policies of St. Patrick's and protecting people, and they walked away. Other people died. Other people changed religions. Others changed parishes. And that was the start of grieving, to know that things were not going to be the same. And, you know, it was difficult for all of us in some point, in some way, in dealing with this. Part of the grief that we experienced is I did a number of, of funerals of people who died from COVID. I anointed many people huh, by phone because they wouldn't allow us in. People grieved because they couldn't say goodbye to those who died. Okay? So it's not over for a lot of people. Because with lessons that we've learned and we struggled, some of the lessons because we didn't respond well, and others because we're still grieving. And I grieve because I miss those people there as well. And we're at a different time. And so one of the things that I've been experiencing in talking with parents and with students, not only at Sunny Slope, but our own particular students here as well, that there are people that are struggling a little bit post-COVID especially with parents. And I thought, you know, we have Jill McMahon here who has been a great resource for many years. She's a licensed professional counselor, and she's talked for many years to our parents. Whenever she's talked to the different groups that we have, there's been a great turnout. But also when she um, um, talked at the masses a couple of years ago about mental health, and how mental health is important. In fact, our new bishop, Bishop John Dolan, is one of the first dioceses in the United States that established a mental health diocesan office. And one of the things he talked about in the challenges, he says, as Catholics, we've over-spiritualized mental health. All we tell people as a church is pray more. Trust in God. Read this prayer book, and let me bless you. Now, those things can be a good foundation, and they're important. But the church needs to speak the language of where people are at, and to know that counselors and therapists and people who've been trained, those are gifts from God on how to use our resources and our minds. You know, there's a number of people who've taken their lives over the years. And I can remember in the early church, uh, in my time, well, that we didn't think they went to heaven. Because a lot of it, we didn't know a lot about the mind. We didn't know how it worked. We didn't understand depression. We thought people were free and they committed the sin of taking their own life. And, you know, we've learned a lot more as a church. Where hopefully our theology for all of us have gone from they're not going to make it to heaven to God knows their hearts. And the darkness that they were in must have been unbelievable pain. And so the church wants to journey with you. I have to be honest, in our parish, most people don't look to the church for real-life situations. Because I think a lot of times the perception is, is all we do is we tell people to pray, you're going to go to hell, and avoid sex sins. That's kind of what we're known for. And you don't, the first thing you don't think about is church. What does the church offer? 
And that's why I'm so glad you're here tonight. And that's why I want the church, the people of God, all of us to journey together. Now, parents, it's hard being a parent, and Jill will talk about that, and I'll, I'll say some things to, to wrap that up as well, but just want to kind of offer you some guidance. Take some notes, and uh, just know that we're here for you. She's got great wisdom, but she'll tell us what she'll talk about. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Jill McMahon, our parishioner, who will come tonight and be our guest. All right, Father Eric, so the last time that you trusted me enough to talk to your congregation, I don't know if you remember, but my phone alarm went off for a full two minutes. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, that's cute, somebody's gonna get their alarm any second now. Any second now, and I kept going, I kept going, and then I noticed my wrist was going crazy. It was my phone. So I'm gonna hand you my phone. Thank you, sir, safekeeping. Feel free to throw it on the ground or sit on it if it starts making noise. I kind of love the size of this group. This is my jam, actually. I would really prefer to speak with people one-on-one -on -one than a big group, but I'll, I'll take anybody who is willing to listen to me open my mouth yet again. Um, for those of you that I know in this room, it's so nice to see your faces. And I appreciate you coming to hear what I have to say again. Um, for those of you that I've never met, I hope to meet you afterwards and know that we are now friends. That's how, that's how quickly I make my friends. I was sitting there while Father Eric was opening up tonight and while Paul was praying with the young kids before we sent them off and I was thinking about the homily yesterday and I was thinking about Lent and happy big Monday, y'all. That's why we're here. Happy Big Monday, Happy Lent. And what I've decided to do for Lent, I typically don't give something up. I typically try to do. And this year I did something a little different and I decided that I was going to ask myself to meditate or pray for a certain period of time every day because I really need to get back into that practice. So it was ironic this morning, as I opened up my meditation, the meditation was basically, Jill, good morning. If you're having a productive, perhaps an overwhelming day, please follow these three steps. The first one was to breathe, right? Just the good old reminder all of us can use, and I know if you are youthful and you're in this room, please take notes, because these are so key. So we practiced deep breathing for five minutes. And then the reminder was that any time through my chaotic or productive day, I could always go back to my breath. Step number one, don't forget to breathe. When you're feeling overwhelmed, you can always go back to your breath. You are in control, you always have your breath. Step number two was to be fully focused. Whatever it is, whatever task you're choosing to do during the day, if you have 25 things to do, each one stop before you start it and tell yourself, I'm gonna focus on just this email for seven minutes. It's just this email. I'm not gonna focus on anything else. I'm gonna focus on this phone call. I'm gonna focus on unloading the dishwasher and just unloading the dishwasher. Number three was to just ask yourself why before you start every single task. So as Father Eric was opening up, I started to get the little butterflies I get. You know, I speak publicly for a living. That doesn't mean that I don't get butterflies. I get butterflies every single time. It's part of my process. It's what I do. I'm amongst my family here. I still get butterflies. So I'm getting butterflies over there, and I'm going back to my meditation, and I'm like, okay, breathe. So you guys are going to see me take some deep breaths up here. I can guarantee you all that I am completely focused on you right now and I am present with you right now. And when I sat there and I asked myself why I'm doing this, it's simple. I'm doing this for your kids. I am doing this to be a voice for your children or the children around you or the children in your lives. I am doing this to help you understand where they are right now. So, some of the basics, we're not gonna go into pandemic, we've been there, 
We've lived it. We were there. I have some bullet points I want to read off of these, and then these are going away. Just a reminder, families experience many layers of stressors, right? People started working from home. Kids started schooling at home. Young families were needing to find full-time childcare for their lives. Schools closed, parks closed, recreational centers closed. All of those areas are areas in which our children learn the most valuable life skills. Kids know how to live under our roofs, you guys. And with that being said, as I start almost every time I'm with you guys, I am not just a mental health professional. I am first and most importantly a mom. I have an 18-year-old and a 23-year-old. I lived through pandemic with you. I lived pandemic through them. But I also had 20 to 50 young adults that I was working with in my private practice at the same time. And for each one of those young adults, I might have had two to four adults in their lives that were calling us, calling me, Jill, what do we do? Jill, what's happening? Jill, I don't know how to handle this situation. All of those things that closed down during pandemic were the places where our kids learn the greatest life skills. They know what we expect at home. They know how to maneuver home life. They know what to say to get what they want. They know what your expectations are them, of them are. They know that they need to complete one chore, chore a day. They know that they, you want them to do their homework. They know what time dinner is. That's great. You guys have set the table for that. But where they're learning the most is outside of our roof. So time is going to tell, the future is going to tell how much pandemic has really impacted our kids. Some children are very resilient, y'all. Some children are going to come out of this just fine, even maybe a little bit stronger. And some kids are going to have long-term mental health issues. So as we know, each child is different, but I'm going to tell you, developmental timelines have stayed true since the beginning, right? from birth to adolescence, development pretty much follows a flow and has for centuries. But what doctors are noticing now that we're out of sheltering, that we're back in school, that we're reintegrated into society, is that the mental health downfalls of what the youth experienced is lingering. If anything, maybe it's just now coming to the surface because they're no longer in fight or flight. They're no longer in crisis. So I'm going to read a little excerpt to you. And that's going to be probably the only one I'm going to read to you all night. A report published through the Loyola Medicine reported in August of 2022, so six months ago, quote, we've seen toddlers who have never had playdates and older children and teens experiencing mental health problems at unprecedented rates. COVID-19 is increasingly responsible for both delays in development and mental health problems. Father Eric mentioned to you, and I feel very honored that I was allowed to speak at each mass in November of 2021. At that time, I remember saying, and I quote, buckle up. We're not there yet. We're not done with this, and we're not going to be done with it for several years. Now, I will admit I got, I got some uh, feedback on that. Not everybody liked that comment. Not everybody felt that it was hopeful. And that was not my intention to be gloom and doom. It was my intention to set appropriate expectations. Because appropriate expectations help us gain control. Appropriate expectations help us look ahead and know how to plan ahead. February 2023, and boy, are things better. But that doesn't mean that it's over. It doesn't mean that we're not still dealing with the lingering effects for all of those reasons that I just shared with you guys. Young children are delayed in how they play, share, and problem solve. Older children and teens have seen mental health emergency room increases, 24% for kids 
aged 5 to 11, 31% increase in adolescents 12 to 17. So I'm going to read that again. We have seen an increased an increase in mental health emergency room visits by 24% ages 5 to 11, 31% in adolescents 12 to 17. That statistic is old. That statistic is from 2020. I can tell you that number is higher now. Reasons being at the time, 2020, fear of contracting COVID, right? Increase in screen time. We can go into that a little bit later if you need to, but I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Getting out of their reality and jumping into a false reality. Maybe spending a little too much time in the false reality. Lack of physical activity. I will always say mother nature and physical activity are the number one antidepressant you will ever find. There is actually research that backs that up. Parental stress. Let's say that again. Parental stress was causing our kids to visit the emergency room and social isolation. So, my trusty, sweet little assistant, will you hold this for me? Three years later, where are we? Adam, Eddie, gentlemen, thank you. What I've done tonight is something different. Um, very different than what I've typically done. The flashcards are away. I don't want to talk about studies or reports. I don't want to read something to you from Harvard Medical School or Cleveland Clinic. Even those are my, those are my favorites. You have been inundated with that. You can watch those on Good Morning America and the Today Show. And we all are. I think we're a little desensitized, and I'm not even sure we're hearing those things anymore. What I wanted to do was ask your kids or the kids in town, or report to you from what I'm hearing in my work, and let you know what the kids in your neighborhood, your grandkids, your niece and nephew, your, your children's friends are telling me. So what I have done over the period of the last month is I have reached out to many a group, and I have posed this one question. What is it? post-pandemic that you need from parents, teachers, and adults in your life, what do you need us to understand? So I have told each of these participants that they had complete confidentiality with me, that I, of course, would never give any descriptors away. I promised them that I would speak on their behalf and advocate for them. And I said, you guys, I need you to be as honest as possible, or this isn't going to do anybody any good. I have an audience that's willing to listen to where you are now and what it is that you need. And I have to tell you guys, I was blown away. Um, I got feedback that I actually was not expecting. So Eddie, can you go to our first quote, please? Response number one, I need for the adults in my life to stop talking as if the pandemic impacted them in the same way that it did us. Then I paraphrased, developmentally that doesn't make sense. They have life skills that we do not. We are just figuring out how to succeed on a daily basis. Adults have so much life experience to fall back on that we do not. Wow. Makes sense though, right? Does, it makes sense. We have, we've experienced thousands of trials and tribulations. Thousands. At 11, 13, or 21 years, they're still really stunted in their life experience, right? So whereas we may know that things are gonna be okay. I remember a sermon that Father Eric gave about a year ago. And he said, you guys, this isn't the first really hard thing we've been through. Like, let's look back in history. There have been world wars. There have been famines. There's been the stock market. This is, this is a, a, a world, not tradition, but this is a world event. And we've always come up and come out. We know that, some of us, not all of us. We know that. Why would they know that? Why? would they have the experience to trust that it's going to be okay?
This reminded me of a story with my own son. When he was 17 years old, he came into his mom and us, his mom and dad, and said that you know he had a really low tire in his car, and didn't know what to do about it, and he thought we needed to take it into the shop to fill the tire with air, right? And we were like, oh, <laughs> silly boy, you just need to take it up to the Circle K. You just need to go. It's like two blocks away. Take it up to the station, fill it with air. You bring four quarters. You need four quarters. You know, you got it. Five minutes later. I get a phone call, not his father, me. There is something to be said about young men believing that their fathers believe that they should know how to do everything, right? I get the phone call, and it's like, Mom, I'm here. I found the machine. I know what you're talking about. Have the hose thing in my hand. Okay. Like, what am I supposed to do with the hose thing? Like, there's a thing that I think I'm supposed to put on the thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, kid, I'm sorry. We've done you a disservice. Like, you have to screw the cap off, and you have to figure out how to connect the two. You guys, that was a parental game changer for me from that moment forward. I needed the reminder that they're still, they still have firsts at 17 and 18 and 22 and 24. You still have that first really difficult conversation with your boss, right? Or that first time that you need to break up with a girlfriend. We like sent my child off to go put air in his tire and he was like, thanks for nothing. We just have so much life experience that we take for granted. Take the example of needing to put air in your tire when it comes to looking at the adolescents or the children in your life. Eddie. Next answer. We lost two to three years of emotional, mental, and social development, meaning we may not understand some important things in life because we have yet to learn them. Lots of us lost important school years that form our mind, social abilities, and emotional coping abilities and lots of other really important things. If our generation seems broken, stupid, or chaotic, paraphrase, it's because we've missed some steps. I thought this was an incredibly vulnerable response. And again, I am only getting these responses because I have promised complete anonymity. That's a very hard word to say. Um, I am only getting these responses because they trust me and I've built a rapport with them. Let me tell you how that sentence really ended. If our generation seems broken, stupid, or chaotic, that's because we are. That was the response I got. Wow. That's how some of our kids feel today. Now, full disclosure, Everybody that I interviewed or sought input from, I spent about a month doing this, you guys. I took it seriously. Um, they were either in high school, freshman through senior, or in college. I don't have a lot of exposure to middle school kids and elementary school kids. With that being said, I did my due diligence. I interviewed teachers. I interviewed school administrators, life coaches, executive functioning coaches, and other counselors in our community. I wanted to speak to what was happening in our community. I wasn't asking what was happening in Philadelphia. Eddie. That kids have forgotten how to do real life school. Many kids have never learned how to really behave like adults in real life situations because they haven't had the exposure and the chance to learn. So maybe you have a 15-year-old son or grandson. Maybe you're holding the big, a big family reunion, a family get-together, and he is a freak out. Doesn't want to come out of his room, isn't wanting to engage, or you have a 17-year-old daughter, she gets there, she's great, and then she just kind of crawls into a shell. Well, how much exposure has she had to a family reunion? You think it's a no-brainer. You think, well, these people love her and she loves them, this should be great. But remember, we have a lot of cognitive delays. Two to three years period of time 
in a young person's life is substantial. Remember that quote earlier said, we have young children born just before pandemic or during pandemic that have never experienced a play date. How do you think that sharpens the tools of your brain the first five years of life? It does. Eddie. Adults don't ask enough about how we feel. They always assume that we know, that they know exactly how we feel because that's the way they feel. Like that's a mic drop moment. I'm gonna read that again. Adults don't ask enough about how we feel. They always assume that they know exactly how we feel because that's the way that they feel. I want you guys to sit with that for a minute. Do you do that? In your adult relationships? In your partnerships and your marriages? Or even more specifically with your children or your nieces or your nephews or your grandchildren? They're not us. They don't have our emotional intelligence. Don't be mistaken that just because you think that they should be joyful and happy about something, that they are joyful and happy about something. Odds are you probably don't know the backstory or you, or you don't know something that is simmering under the surface. I think this is a really poignant and very simple thing to understand. Just double check with them. Don't make assumptions, Eddie. For adults to stop brushing off the pandemic as if it was nothing. It was something to me. This is what I've learned pretty clearly in the last couple years of my practice. We really want our kids to be okay. Meaning, like now, today. Like, we really want our kids to feel okay. To be past it, to be over it, to be better. You know why? Because that calms us down. And it makes us feel better as parents. It's easier for us to think that they're okay. Next. The repercussions from the pandemic are still present in today, today in school. Our teachers see us struggling with concepts we were supposed to learn during pandemic. Our lessons are being pushed back because our teachers have to reteach them to us. So we are cramming more into the school year than we should be. So I validated this. I double-checked this. I spoke with a school counselor today and an administrator. They validated that. I'm not saying that that's the situation in every school. I'm just saying it's certainly a perspective that I didn't have before, that I didn't think of. My heart goes out to the teachers. My heart goes out to the administrators. This has nothing to do with our school system. I am in awe of our school, all of our school systems, to be honest with you. They have had to come up with plan A, B, C, D, F to make sure that everybody is getting the best that they can. They can't teach individually to one child. I spoke with an executive, executive functioning coach today who's also worked in a middle school setting who also has three children of her own. And she's like, Jill, this is what I'm seeing in my practice. I have kids that went from in-person school to virtual learning, and that was a huge learning curve for them and they had a lot of difficulty adjusting just when they adjusted, then they had to go back to in-person, which is great because ultimately that's where we want them, but then they couldn't succeed there either, so they were kind of flip-flopping back and forth. And for the teachers, think of the school system, how the school system's attempting to handle that to make sure that everybody's needs are being met. met. You guys, kids, ages six to 22, we can't say, you and I, that we know what it's like to be them. We can't say that we know what it's like to be a sophomore in high school. We can't anymore. That goes out the window. We can't say that we know what it's like to be in eighth grade. We know aspects of what it was like, but what they're experiencing is very different from anything that we've experienced. Eddie, 
that we still need support, feeling that much of the support offered during pandemic has been taken away. They feel overwhelmed that many teachers aren't as helpful, sympathetic as they were during virtual learning. Even though the gap in school may still be affecting us academically, I also did my due diligence and I also checked on this one. At least with the people that I have contact with in the school system and they said, yeah, I hate to admit it. Because I heard that honestly and I was like, is that true? Is there really not as many support services available to them? Or they may be just a little quieter and so, you know, the kids are like, oh, we've been left out to dry. Nope, I got validation. It's not as prevalent, it's not as present, we're not talking about it anymore. There's this mentality of like, pull your boots up, let's go. The real world is back and let's just not talk about it anymore. Eddie. So, here's where I was surprised. I asked a backup question. When I asked if they felt like their parents were looking over their shoulders more, or that they were under a microscope, I got the responses of no, not more than normal. My parents even might have more trust in me now because I came through pandemic pretty much fine, so they think I can handle anything. Or for me, my parents have gotten more trusting since pandemic and less strict. As long as I keep my grades up, I'm afforded some freedoms. Another response that I received that I didn't have time to add to the slide was, and this, this was the rare horse, this was the only response like this that I received, was parents need to be a little tougher and parents need to practice a little more tough love. Okay. So I'm always gonna be fair, I'm always gonna be across the board, I'm always gonna represent everything. What I'm going to tell you is I was expecting, there was, and I told Father Eric when we first met six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, it was a long time ago. I said, Father Eric, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I heard in my practice all year last year. They're breathing down my neck. They need to get over it. They need to quit assuming that I'm broken. They need to quit waiting for me to crumble. I just want to stop talking about it. And that's all they want to talk about. I thought I was going to hear that, you guys, over and over and over again. And it is absolutely not what I heard. That was less than 10% that came out of our kids in our community, some of them from this church. I just read to you what I heard, what I learned from them. But when I went back and I thought about where did that mindset come from? Where did I come up with this maybe false ideal that I was going to get this response? Hi, guys. I haven't even looked over there. Hi, guys. That I was going to get this false response that was like, you know, ugh, can we move on? Quit yammering. That is what I heard a year ago. And I can now tell you why that is because I figured it out. A year ago, we were just coming out of sheltering. So they had sat in your homes for a year to 18 months. And they really did feel like they were under a microscope. And they at that point in our lives, that is really what most everybody was talking about all of the time. And there really wasn't very much freedom. And young adults, adolescents, kids, I don't care if you're eight years old, you just want to test, and you want to move, and you want to experience something new, and you just want to test your boundaries and your freedoms all the time, and they weren't able to do that. So of course, a year ago, that's the response I was getting. They've been set out free into the world for the past year, and they're starting to calibrate and calculate something's not right. It doesn't feel good. I know that I should be past this. I know nobody wants to talk about it anymore, but I cannot keep swimming upstream. Eddie. So, it's 7.21. The kiddos are coming back in soon. More than anything tonight, I wanted to share with you guys what I learned, because I learned a lot through this process in preparing to come and talk to you. What are some takeaways that I can give to you? I will implore you, I will beg you, I do this every time I talk to you, please talk to your kids. Please ask them, don't take my word for it. But also, you know, maybe ask them more than once. 
For some of you, if you have kids that are here for EDGE tonight, I suspect you're gonna ask them in the car. That's great. They may be expecting you to do so. They may not wanna talk about it tonight. They may have had long days. Don't take my word for it. Ask them more than once. Ask them two weeks from now. Ask them a month from now. Ask them six weeks from now. And don't just say, how you doing? Be creative. These are your children. Hey, this is what I heard. Is this ever true for you? Do you have any friends that are struggling with this? Like, I never even thought about this point of view. Like, you just haven't had the exposure that other people have had. Do you ever feel a little bit like it's too much or you're overwhelmed or maybe you're drowning? And then I want you to ask yourself, because I am a firm believer in self-examination and I am a firm believer that I am a life learner and so is everybody else. Do you hear them? Asking a question is great. Some of us get nervous about it, but that's, that's easy. Doesn't matter if you're not listening. And they will know when you're listening. So I have shared with you the secret about the gem before. Gem, G-E-M, genuine encounter moment. All of us can use it. I learned this in grad school a zillion billion years ago when dealing with young children who misbehave. I now use it in my marriage. <laughs> And sometimes when I'm dealing with my elderly parents. Gem, genuine encounter moment. It is five to ten minutes. No matter what you're doing, you set everything down. You turn off the remote. You set your phone down. If somebody needs your attention, it's always going to be an inconvenient time. So I don't really care about that excuse. It's always going to be an inconvenient time. Stop what you're doing. Turn. Make eye contact. Listen. Really, really engage. Really, really listen. Science will show that you give somebody five to 10 minutes of undivided attention, it satiates them for four hours. So check in, ask questions, and then self-examination. Do you really hear what they're trying to tell you? Ask yourself, where is my anxiety? And what am I doing to keep that in check? Father Eric had mentioned earlier, we're doing this tonight because we're hearing from community members that there, there's some concerns, that the kids are, are making comments that they're struggling a little bit. So where's your anxiety around that? And what are you doing about your own anxiety about how your kids are doing and if they're going to make it into college and if they decide not to, you know, go out for the football team, soccer team, or robotics next year, does that really mean that that's going to ruin their chances to get the scholarship or to go to that school that they want? And oh my gosh, if they fail that test, well then I don't know if they can go out this weekend because now we're not going to get an AP and oh, stop it. That's your anxiety. That's not their legacy. That's your legacy. That's what you want for them, which is amazing and it's beautiful and please push them. But anxiety rolls downhill. I'll be the first person to tell you anxiety is a learned behavior. And I have a lot of friends and I love them all. But their anxiety rolls downhill. And I watch it. Rely on your faith when it comes to being nervous or anxious or concerned. We have been through difficult things before. We will get through this as well. Just please attempt to start seeing things through a different lens, not your lens, your child's lens. Eddie. Last one. Find the balance. Help them find the balance. That's how we're both best going to help them. Patience, right? So patience. I'm going to ask you all to be very, very patient with the children in your life, yet encouraging. Okay, so this doesn't mean we're letting them off the hook. This is usually the question I get when I ask parents, you know, to just be more receptive, to pay better attention, maybe to talk to their children. They'll be like, ugh, but Jill, I just can't let them get away with everything. I'm not asking you to do that. There is a balance there. I'm asking you to check in with them. I'm asking you to listen to them differently. I'm asking you to understand their daily walk differently. I, I polled 20 to 40 kids 
to educate me so that I could educate you. I'm asking you just to pay attention to what they were saying. Be patient with them. They are in a two to three year delay. There is no way around it. Again, some kids are more resilient than others. Your neighbor's kids may be great, but most children ages zero to 24 are in a two to three year delay. Socially, emotionally, academically. Be patient. That doesn't mean you don't tell them you can do this, you got this, I'm gonna be here with you the whole way. That doesn't mean when they say, oh, you know, I wanted to try out for the play, but oh, change my mind, now I'm not gonna try out, that you don't push them to try out for the play. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying this is a hall pass. What I'm saying is you then go, I'm gonna stand next to you, and I'm gonna walk next to you, and I'm gonna help you stay courageous while you try out for the play, I'm not going anywhere. You got this, baby girl. And if it goes bad, it goes bad. At least you can be proud of yourself that you tried. Try not to compare your children to who they were in the fifth grade. <laughs> we're seeing that a lot. When I was pulling other counselors, I had a counselor tell me the other day that, you know, I'm working with an eighth grader who is really struggling in math, but mom and dad are all over that kid going, that kid was great at math before pandemic. Like, that math is that kid's thing. Like, he is, he's missing his potential. Like, he's just given up. I know he could do more. And, and she's like, um, fifth grade is not eighth grade. You're supposed to be a completely different person in the three years development anyway. He may not be interested in math. And stop making your child somebody who you thought he was going to be before pandemic. And start looking at it this way. Your child is a new child. Still your child, with the ethics and the morals that you have taught them. But they're starting anew in some ways. And so stay with them where they are. Reintroduce yourself to who that child is now instead of forcing them or bending their wrist to be somebody that they're not anymore and know when to get involved and know when to back away. That's a really complicated one, right? Know that there are times to maybe make a phone call to me or somebody like me. There's lots of me's in this world. There's lots of great resources in this parish. We are very, very fortunate here at St. Patrick. Very fortunate. It's okay to reach out and inquire. It's okay to ask your friends, neighbors, anybody, if they're seeing the same things in their households. But also, give your kids a little breathing space. Know when to back away and trust that they're gonna be able to pull themselves up a little bit, but be ready and be on alert to pick them up. Check in, listen, love them, be patient. That's all I have for you tonight. And I know that the younger kiddos are gonna come walking in soon. Do we wanna try to open it up for questions or we think it's a little late? Okay, 7.30, y'all. Go ahead. Here was the question, um, because I do know that we are recording this for later release. Am I seeing there is a correlation between pandemic and bullying? I personally have not heard that. So I don't know if there is. I know that we had a big issue with it, of course, obviously, before pandemic. Um, from a professional's point of view, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing that at an increase, again, because we have stunted so social skills, right? Um, for those kids that were younger that I was mentioning earlier, you know, they haven't had years of learning how to share in the same way. Other questions? Yes. So I'm going to paraphrase that. Um, she was commenting that her grandson spends a lot of time on screens, more so probably than before pandemic, but that's really where all of his connections are. He is actually playing with his friends and his buddies. He's not going outside, but he's definitely online more, and it's hard to pull back. So what I'm going to say is not going to be popular, when it comes to that, it never is popular, so I'm just gonna own this from the get-go. Especially for young boys, online gaming 
is a form of connection and friendship. I have coached more parents through that. Um, too much screen time is not good. Taking screens away is bad. Told you, wasn't gonna be your best friend. <laughs> screens are part of their lives. They were handed screens when they were, oh, six months, one year old. You know, you're in a restaurant, just play with my phone, little Tommy, Timmy, Johnny, Susie. Why we use those names, I don't know. Um, so it's foreign to be without one for them. I mean, we kind of created that. I'm just gonna say that. It's different than what we know, but too much screen time is dangerous. Again, it's finding the balance. For young boys in particular, they don't, especially there's like this age range, like eight to about 16. Sometimes it can go to 32. It just depends on the boy in your life, in all honesty. They preferred the gaming than the face-to-face -face stuff. But if you, I love that you've been listening because what will happen is in between like a segment or whatever, they're chatting. Like, yo, what'd you have for dinner? Oh my gosh, did she hit you back up? What? I mean, they're actually talking to one another while it occurs. So again, it's a balance with screens. I have more of an issue with um, too much social media almost than gaming, and that's a, that's a boy-girl thing as well. It's getting too deep into a false world where the expectations and the image is so great. And again, that is also a part of our world, so I'm not anti-social media, it's just finding a balance. Not, not making that your complete lifestyle. Any other questions? Yeah. Can I retell that story? I'm not gonna do it justice because it's not my memory and it's not my kid. Let's be super clear, beautiful story. His child had come to him when he was younger and said, dad, turn on the water, the water's too hot. And his dad said, you know, what do you want me to do? And came back to the sink and thought that he, his son wanted him to turn down the water when really all his son wanted him to do was to place his hand on his back and be present for him, right? I have nothing else to say to that. Mic drops you, sir. Take that. Take that with you. Gem, genuine encounter moment. Just be present. I don't care if you don't have children in your house anymore. You know young adults somewhere. You are connected with young creatures that are still developing and figuring out who they are and trying to make sense of this really bizarre, chaotic, chaotic word world. Just be present. Don't fix things for them. Just be present for them. And if it's time to fix, you, you will know. But that desire to fix is your anxiety. Check your anxiety. It rolls downhill. More questions? That was a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Beautiful. We probably have time for a couple more. Yeah. Are there any changes in the relationships with substance abuse? I think you're asking me, have we seen a change with substance abuse post-pandemic? Is that the question? Yes. And it's off the charts. Off the charts. Those are the two areas that we are going to see long-term is a problem with substance use and depression. Substance use tends to be a coping skill. And during pandemic, a lot of the resources were not available for those that struggled. So some of them that were already kind of teetering and having a hard time were left at home struggling with the bottles or the substances and a lot of time on their hands and not necessarily supervision in some case, depending on the age of the individual. Um, and some of them were overstressed and oftentimes substances are used is a coping skill. So yeah, we had resources were low, substance use was the same or higher, and now we have a problem and it's, it's, it's sad. We're gonna have to work on that for years to come. One more question, anybody? Martin, put your hand down. <laughs> yes. Ah, addressing social media use in a way that is parenting, right? Without completely causing chaos at home. Huh, got it. That's a great question, thank you. And we do have time for that. Um, I'm gonna answer that question 
with a response from the kids. Because I, I have a lot of intimate, trusting relationships with kids. And most of them tell me that they hate how addicted they are to social media. Overwhelmingly. So I wouldn't address it as an authoritative figure. Because the second you do that, that's why I said earlier, oh, the wrong thing to do is to take it away from them. They are still young people. They will want to do just the opposite. They will feel that you're taking a freedom. They will want more of it. It's, it's like somebody telling you, you can't have a donut. Well, all I want all day long is a donut. It's that simple. So it's having a conversation and sitting down and saying, how do you feel about your use? Like, is there, is there a way that I could start there? Is there a way that I can help you? Do you, like, if we had to make one change about your social media use, maybe what would it be? Would you want to, like, my children would tell me straight out, oh, I hate that I use it as soon as I come home from school and then I get distracted and then pretty soon it's nine o'clock. All right, so let's just start there. Like, it's a partnership, we'll do it together. It's not you going, give me your phone from four to seven. That's a completely different conversation. It's received differently. Sir, you are standing up and you are behind me. Thank you for manning my phone. Everyone, thank you for Jill for doing this. You can stay here with me. So, thanks for coming tonight. We're going to do a little bit of praying and wrap up here, and then we'll send off. The kids aren't coming back, so we'll meet them there. Um, next week, we still have Big Monday again, the second one. Come fill the well with Paul Hildebrand, with music, with uh, sharing and reflection. We hope you come for that. And if you like Chick-fil-A, you can pre-order your meal. So you can just pre-order it through here, through our website there. It'll give you all that information on our email connection and uh, other announcements here. You can pre-order, have it here, eat outside, and then uh, come for um, the other, uh, next one of, uh, of a no more Big Mondays. Let's stand. And Paul's going to lead us in our closing, sending forth song. And thank you for being here tonight. Good night, everybody. Drive home safely. <laughs>